Hi everyone, my name is Fiona Hardy and I write Dead Right for the Readings Monthly and I also work at the Carlton and Doncaster stores. And I'm here today talking to Dervla McTiernan about her book The Scholar, published by HarperCollins. And also with me here today is my fellow good cop, bad cop, protege, Deborah Crabtree. Hello. And welcome. Welcome, Devla. Thank, Thank you very you. much for having me. Thank I you wish you would give me a heads up on who is the good cop and who is the bad cop. <laughs> You'll have to tell. work that out. <laughs> <laughs> now, congratulations on your book, The Scholar. Um, I will say when The Ruin came out, your first book, there was such a buzz around the reading stuff. It was the book that we were, oh, you've got to read this book. You've got to read this book. So The Scholar, we were like, oh, it is as good. We love it as much. So congratulations. Now, I know that you have been practicing your pitch. <laughs> I have. I probably shouldn't have put that on Facebook. Oh, <laughs> it was wonderful because I'm really, I love that idea because I just think, God, if I was to talk about my book, not that I have one, but if I had one, if I was to talk, I would just be like, oh, it's. So the practice is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Could you please, because it's so well practiced. <laughs> Give us your pitch. I would be happy to. I'm slightly concerned that I've built this up now. And people will be like, what, really? That, that's what you practice? Emma just don't, you know, like. But just be aware that how bad it was when I started. This is the practiced version. Um, okay, so the scholar starts with Emma Sweeney. Emma is a research scientist. She's very dedicated to her work, loves her work. Um, and late one evening, she's going in to pick up some test results in the lab. It's late a Friday evening. Um, the lab is situated on the campus of the university in Galway and she stumbles across the body of a young woman um, who has been the victim of a hit and run. The scene is really devastating so she calls her partner Cormac Riley who just happens to be a detective sergeant in the Irish police force. Understandably Cormac comes running and he ends up taking the case which he probably shouldn't be doing given that his partner found the body but he finds a way to sort of rationalise that if you like. Um... The body is identified as Carlene Darcy, the a granddaughter of an incredibly powerful family, very wealthy family that is involved in everything, politics, everything, who just so happened to have also sponsored Emma's research. And as the investigation progresses, Cormac, quite late in the investigation, comes across little pieces of evidence that suggest that maybe Emma's discovery of the body wasn't as innocent as it originally seemed. And I cannot tell you any more or I will ruin the whole story. <laughs> that's perfect. That's why, I think that's why we really like the author to talk about it as well, because we're always worried about saying too many spoilers and you're sitting over there going, shh, so did it. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the worst. It's like when you watch a trailer for a movie and the trailer's better than the movie. And it's like, oh, you've the first 60 seconds. Don't do that. You know? Yeah, but it really it is such a fantastic book and we both really enjoyed it so much. And oh, thank um, you. Yeah, it's. Look, I, but having, I, I hate to kind of backtrack a little bit to the ruin, but like um, it went, you know, it was a lot of word of mouth. Like Deb said beforehand, when it was published, there was like, you know, people fighting over the reading copies and everyone talking about it. And then it got released and then it was on the bestseller lists and kind of, um, what, you know, what happened after the publication of the ruin that changed your life? You know, um, when did you know that it was going to be a big thing for you? You know, I, I don't know if it ever really sank in. To be <laughs> I, like it didn't. I, I mean, I remember when when we found out that you guys were excited about the book and I got an email from HarperCollins going, oh my God, yeah. my readings have said it's such a big deal. And I'm not joking about the buzz. It was all around, like all the shops, all the, it was just, it was just it was great. It was I'm, so exciting. It was yeah. very, very exciting for me because they were saying, readings never do this. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. So I was very excited about that but and everything that happened. But it just, 
it's a very, very difficult thing to wrap your brain around. You know, if you you guys are writers, you know what this is like when you mm. are when you're writing quietly at home and you're reading the writing blogs and how to get published stuff, and you know that like it never happens. Mm. It never happens, and there might be six months before you hear back from an editor, and maybe you might get a chance to build a career. But all that stuff feels real and normal. This might happen if I'm very lucky this time when, and then the ruin came out, and it just was completely different, mm. and wonderful things kept happening and I couldn't wrap my brain around them. I just couldn't make them make sense, you know? And I kept trying to understand it and eventually I kind of said, okay, just stop trying to make sense of this because you never will. Just do the thing that's in front of you and the next thing that's in front of you. (laughs) And maybe in six months you'll be at home in the kitchen, you know, pottering around some Saturday (laughs) afternoon and all of a sudden it will all go, it will all fit in. And then you can open a bottle of wine and sit there quietly at the kitchen table and just go, (laughs) <laughs> and I guess so. there's that thing too that you also, you know, you, you're out there celebrating that, but then there's the next one that you've got mm. to come to and the next one. <laughs> right, the next one. Well, I was really lucky because I signed my contract with HarperCollins in October 2016 and the ruin didn't come out until February 2018, which gave me basically 18 months at home quietly writing The Scholar. And nobody had any expectations and I had no expectations. I had no reviews in my head, you know. Mm -hmm. It was just Anna, my editor, waiting for the book. And that was it. Mm. And it was so lovely. I mean, it was hard in the way that I was was still working and, you know, the kids and all that sort of stuff. But I'd always written at night. So it was just a continuation of that, except now I knew for sure I was going to be published. And it was a really lovely way to work and to write and... And it was a really nice time, actually, the writing of that book. So when you were writing The Ruin and you had Cormac, who is in both novels, did you did you know that there was going to be more stories after The Ruin with him? Like, Oh, not really. Not really. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to claim it was all beautifully planned, mm. but no, I kind of staggered into it. I, like when I set out to write The Ruin, I set out to write Maud's story. And for anybody who's read it, you know that Maud is this, particularly in the prologue, she's this 14, 15 year old girl. Her little brother Jack is only five and it's all about their relationship and how she's protected him. And for me, the story was always all about Maud. And I remember saying to a publisher once, you know, I set out to write Maud's story. And he said, well, you didn't. (laughs) (laughs) And he's right, really, because it it morphed, you know, and Mm. I think at a certain point I realised I needed a detective and Cormac became that detective and he just became more important over time and grew in my head and and um you know sort of became the idea of making it a series kind of came out of conversations with my editor um and I was very happy to do that and I think the reason I'm very comfortable with the whole series idea is because I grew up reading fantasy which is always about series long you know our little, you know, trilogies and stuff. So that that's where my head is at with these books. I'm thinking, you know, a trilogy, The Ruin, The Scholar and the third one. And that will kind of complete the arc of those three books. So I'm excited. So there's another one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that was the question I think we were both like, who's going to ask about the third one? <laughs> so there is a third one, hopefully. Safe. Yes, I have Are you in the middle of it now? I've delivered it. It's oh, with wow. my publishers. <laughs> so that's that one year in advance thing that I had from the beginning. I've been yeah. very lucky. So I just delivered it. I've just had my editorial meeting for the structural edit. So as soon as I'm finished touring around and having chats, I will be going home and I will be writing. And I'm very excited about it. 
At the moment, it's called The Good Turn. I don't know if that will survive editing, but that's what it's called today. It's a good title so far. <laughs> Thank you. Um, actually, when you were talking about having, when you needed realised you needed a detective in the story, one thing I was wondering is you have a legal background. Mm. Um, that w- I was wondering what made you kind of go to detective fiction instead of maybe a legal thriller. What was it? Well, the problem is I was a commercial lawyer, which is about as boring as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> like nobody oh, wants to no. read that novel, trust me. <laughs> oh, my God. I, so I ran, ran from that. I mean, look, commercial law is massive contracts. That's what it is. It's right. writing 300-page contracts and negotiating 300-page contracts, usually with a room full of men. And that has, <laughs> that was my, my legal career. So I definitely didn't want to bring that forward. <laughs> you, you know, the only advantage to being a lawyer, I guess, is you have other lawyer friends. And I had friends who were criminal defense lawyers. And you hear little bits and pieces of backroom stories. And some of that definitely feeds its way into the novel in places. But... Other than that, I kind of left it all behind. Uh. <laughs> it's funny, like, even though I should have thought of that and I'm currently dealing with, like, a, a conveyancy lawyer at the moment because I, I'm, I'm buying an apartment. <laughs> but even so, I, when I was, like, she was a lawyer, I'm, like, obviously criminal defence. Like, <laughs> you know, like, the first thing we all kind no of hear, like, and I was, like, so I guess that she's probably met a lot of cops in her life. Yeah. But no, that's probably, that's I'm so seeing that this is not a true fact. But this is completely expo- I'm watching, I'm rewatching the The Good Wife at the moment, all of the episodes. We all have that picture in our heads of a size six um, lawyer wearing beautifully tailored extremely <laughs> expensive suits that very few lawyers can afford in court all the time yeah. in very exotic cases when in fact it's someone at 10 o'clock at night you know crying over a 300 page contract <laughs> at some rotten <laughs> office somewhere is the reality I'm afraid to say <laughs> what kind of research do you do in that case to come? Because, like, I was so yes, convinced. I was going to ask that too. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> this is why we can't talk before. Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 We all the questions from death. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, what kind? Yeah, because I mean, I was, it was all so convincing. All of the interactions with the detectives, and it was like a, such a good. Um, I can't believe I've forgotten the word procedural. That's the word I'm looking oh, for. Yeah. Um, like, and yeah, I was just wondering, you know, as someone, as but since both of us like writing crime and reading crime, I was like, yeah, how do you approach the research into getting? a convincing detective story well first of all that's very nice of you to say um <laughs> i don't know i i certainly do some research there's a, is an astonishing amount available online for starters you know you can look up the garda siakona which is the irish for police in ireland um the garda siakona annual report and you can get stuff about their statistics and certain kinds of crime and even the way they speak about it is telling in its own way you know so that's sort of a source. But I have a very large family. My parents had seven kids, which is very useful for research. We have a family WhatsApp group. So I just say, right, I need a serving detective sergeant. You've got 24 hours. <laughs> and my brother Julie provided. And I spoke to a very nice detective sergeant in Ireland who kind of filled me in on lots of things. But my approach to um, research, I have to admit, is somewhat flexible because I it's always story first. And yeah. I am... Um, I have a sister who's a doctor and she trained in the same hospital as Ashling um, in Galway. And I would ring Ave. I'd write one of the scenes in the hospital and I'd ring Ave and I would say, Ave, look, I've written this scene and it would be really useful for the story if this is how it works. Is this is how is, is this how it works in the hospital? And she would say, no. <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, I'm writing it anyway. So that's it. So I kind of cheat. I, I try to... As I've gone on, I've kind of understood more the need for accuracy because it's easy to say, oh, look, story first, story first, story first. But that's true until it's in your area of expertise. Mm. And then it's annoying. Yeah. Then it does throw you out of the story. So I, I try and be as accurate as I can. But at the end of the day, it's not about repeating all my research on the page. It's the story. So the research really is just 
should be just barely there, you know. Yeah. And so when you're, you know, you're telling the story and you, you're, you've come up with the idea and you're, you're writing, do you, do you plan first? Do you just plunge straight in and jump just straight just, in? Excellent. Oh my God. <laughs> I jumped straight in with the ruin with an empty page and I ended up writing about 250,000 words for a hundred thousand words. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Um, with the scholar, I had learned a bit more by then I had read a lot of different craft books you know um, my favorite ended up being Elizabeth George's Right Away where she mm-hmm. goes into huge detail about her process and the first time I read it I just thought this woman is crazy because <laughs> it's it, it, I mean the amount of work she did before she wrote a word of her novel like voluminous pages on wow. this character and that character and I just thought that's nuts that's a crazy way to do it but actually I did almost exactly her process for the scholar because I found that what the result of the work she does is that you know your characters so well before you ever put them in a scene yeah. mm-hmm. that you don't go down the blind alleys. And while I didn't do that exact process for the third book, I, I found it wasn't working for me quite as well, so I had to adapt it again. I, I still took some of it forward. Mm-hmm. And I would think the only difference now is that I recognise more when I'm starting to go down a blind alley. You know, you almost feel it. Mm. When you as a writer, you're trying to sh- push your character because it would be really useful for the storyline. <laughs> just do this thing. And they're like, nope, nope, they're not, not going to happen. Do it. <laughs> I'm setting mine to a beach because I really like writing about the beach. And then I'm like, you don't need to go to a beach, Fiona. It's fine. Stay in the suburbs already. <laughs> it would be good. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. it, right? Yeah. And you know when you're doing it, but you kind of, you can be in denial. Like, <laughs> then you kind of go, no, I've got to put it back, put it back. <laughs> so I think I recognise that a little earlier now. <laughs> and how's fi- how do you find writing about Galway now that you're living in Perth? I'm only laughing because that's literally what yeah, I yeah. <laughs> We really are quite good at this. We've got a lot of good in this. just the same pop. We've combined good and bad. I... In one way, I think it's easier. Mm-hmm. I think the distance and the contrast. Perth is a very warm, very bright city, obviously, and the, the physical geography is so different from Galway. That makes the things that make that, that make Galway its own place stand out more in my memory. So I think in many ways it helps. There are days where it's 42 degrees outside. <laughs> it's been over 38 for the last three days, and you're thinking, oh, my God. And you have to write a rainy day. But I um, last year I got myself a pair of noise-cancelling headphones, mostly to keep kids <laughs> down to you know four about when, when I'm writing on a Saturday because my study's just off the kitchen and um, now sometimes and this is so naff but sometimes I close the curtains I turn up the air conditioning I put on a jumper <laughs> and turn on I've got plug in my headphones to my phone I've got this noisy app that plays rain and you can even put on the crackling of a fire oh, <laughs> that's really cool no. oh my gosh what a great idea <laughs> it works all I need is a glass of wine <laughs> when we uh, we had our last podcast with was with um, JP Pomare about ah, his book um, Call, Call Me Evie mm. yeah and uh, he was talking about because he wrote about his childhood home and um, then he said he went back there and he noticed that like he had to kind of extend a street to make it fit into the story and maybe tweak some things yes, about this right, real place. Yes. So did you like do you go back like now to Ireland and go oh this wasn't actually where I Quite read it? Right. <laughs> I, I haven't because I Again, the big family thing is such a help. I use the little Google Maps man quite a bit if I just mm-hmm. need to put him in the street and remind myself. <laughs> and then if I get stuck, I, I ring mum still. Um, like there was a canal walk on 
right beside the canal and I was I was like I know that's called I think it was literally the canal walk or something but on Google Maps it was called something else and I was like I know that's wrong I just know that's wrong so I had to ring mum and say mum any chance you could swing by and look at the sign <laughs> and she sent me a photograph then the Aww. next day so <laughs> it's very useful poor mum was helping me out but I, I try Galway is such a good location for a book like mm. this because it was a medieval city it's very small. The centre of Galway is very small. The, the, the university campus is right beside it and there's a river running right through the middle of the city. And it's very, it's picturesque but quite dramatic in yeah. certain ways. And the weather is so appropriate. You know, if you, I thought when I came to Perth that the heat would be the thing that was striking but it was the open sky because, and then when I go home to Galway it feels like the clouds are nearly sitting on your head. Right. You know, they hang low okay. and there's this atmosphere and then you walk down the street and you disappear into this pub where just life explodes in front of you, you know. <laughs> it just feels like the right place for a novel like yeah. this. So I haven't had to tweak anything yet but I make no promises because you never know. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I sold a copy of this, uh, The Ruin um, just yesterday at work because a customer came up and was like, is there any new Adrian McKinty's? And I was like, no, but I've just read a book <laughs> where on someone's bookshelf was a copy of the because I loved I loved seeing like a reference like a, you know just a contemporary cultural reference and I love seeing characters reading books as oh, well yes, so, so yeah. you, it's like when you're at the movies and you go oh they've got like books on their shelves and yeah, you're like yeah. can we pause it so that I can see <laughs> what it is that they're reading can I recognize any of these books do we sell them do we have them? I totally get that I feel that way too and um I was actually oh now I can't remember what my question was because I got distracted no that's right it was um so is there some kind of secret Irish Australian Writers Club and can I join it if my ancestors left Ireland in the 1800s? Yes, it is called Twitter. It's amazing how I've like I feel like I've been really lucky. I almost don't want to talk about it in case people realise, yeah, we should stop doing that. But everybody's been so nice to me. <laughs> Us in Australia, Australian writers have just been so welcoming and so open armed and and so yes welcome join us you know we'll support you and in Ireland too where I'm I mean I'm not in Ireland I haven't lived there for eight years and there are so many wonderful Irish crime writers new and established you know um out there in the market and yet they're all they've got my back and I feel very much part of it and I'm going to New Ireland on Friday for in Belfast this Irish oh. Northern oh, Irish Crime wow. Festival and Adrian, Adrian <laughs> McKinty will be there <laughs> we are going to meet in the bar and play Dungeons and Dragons I understand well I hope he puts your novel in his yeah. next novel he better he better <laughs> that's all I can say <laughs> and um, there's also uh, Aoife Clifford's first book uh, yes. All These Perfect Strangers is mm. also set in a university which made me wonder um, she, she's Irish as well well has was was and yeah I was wondering what kind of what it was about a university that made you want to include that in the scholar like what why, why you wanted to have that as your setting oh my god I don't I think it's just one of those it's like a story snippet I mean how many movies have you seen where you've got this ivy covered beautiful building and there are young people and the students in this dark it's almost like it comes with its own backstory it's like yeah. as soon as you present that to a reader they they have a it's its own little world, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 You have all the history of all the movies you've seen, all the books you've read that have already been set there. So you're coming with expectations and then you can play with those. You know, I almost feel like the way we're telling stories now in books and television is like in that sort of shorthand. Do you ever notice that? Yeah. It's like people are becoming so sophisticated in how they consume stories that you have to write something or maybe make something, if you're talking about film or movies, that understands that and has that sort of history there so it's like hey guys 
okay, we're all starting here. You know, we all know where we're starting. Now let's play, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I think universities have been a setting for such a long time for, for good stories. And so I'm kind of hoping to climb on the backs of people who've come before <laughs> me. <laughs> that's one way of looking at it. No, it's, it's, uh, no, that's a really good point, actually. Yeah, yeah it's, I mean, I went to TAFE after school and that was just such a boring square building. And so I kind of like, every, I still watch those movies now and I'm like, I still oh, go down the university. It's good enough that I work near one, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and Melbourne Uni, that's got yeah. a really good, you know, but, but it's ma- the presentation is everything. The front of the scholar has this beautiful oh, picture of the Aula Maxima, which is the building that's from that building w- was built in 1849 when the university um, opened. It was Queen's College Galway at the time. That's my yes. old uni. But it's actually the building that's, that's in the book. the building. And the college bar was just there <laughs> on the very right bottom oh, when I started college. <laughs> but around the corner from that beautiful ivy covered building are the 1970s horrors, <laughs> which is, was most of the rest. Now the the campus is stunning because they've had all these beautiful new buildings built but when I went there it was the aula and loads of 1970s really unattractive <laughs> so it's amazing what you can do with a good photo that is a great photo I am like because we read a lot of crime books I guess we see a lot of those covers that have you know just a street or a lamppost or yep, something yep. like that so it's actually really nice to hear that that's <laughs> actually the setting yeah. <laughs> and I was also because you t- mentioned um, film as well now mm. I, I know that the ruin was optional. It was optional. Uh, anything, anything happening with that? At well, the stage, I, I, every now and again, I get little, almost like missives from the edge, sort of like such and such an A-list actor is reading it, and I'm like la 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 la. ears because it's such a huge distraction, and you know we all know these things take forever if they even happen at all. So I just try not to think about it. I haven't heard anything like anything's imminent, so I just kind of bury my head in the books and don't. So you don't have any sort of dream cast members that if you oh, could, if God, you could, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> dream casting is the most fun. If ever. you could, who would you? Oh my God! If I could, I would have like Colin Farrell as Cormac, yes. yes. and Saoirse Ronan as Ashley. Can you imagine? Or <laughs> yeah. Maud, even even though she's got different co- colouring, but Saoirse can do anything. So yeah. It would yeah. Be fine. She could, she could make it work. I would so see this movie. Yeah, I would obviously <laughs> anyway. But yeah. So, Sirsha and Colin, if you're listening, <laughs> call us. we've all done every now and again. I think. What about when my when my when the book gets adapted for a screenplay and I win that Oscar? Like, mm-hmm. what, what will my speech be? What are we going to wear? We're going to wear to a party. Yeah, party in one tomorrow night. We're already freaking out. Call Leanne and ask her for her advice. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I was wondering, so Cormac is, he's such a great personality. Like, I think that's when books really work is when you really, you kind of, I mean, they don't always have to be good characters, but he is, like, as in a good person. But he, is, he is. I a good was person. thinking about him as a character, you know, the last couple of days. I've been thinking about him quite a bit. <laughs> and just, he's he someone I would trust. He I, is. He's a very trustworthy man. He's, he's, he's responsible and he's ethical. Morally and sound. He's, yeah. <laughs> Except he does find himself with an ethical dilemma in this book, True. which is, is just wonderful to throw that in. And, you know, yeah. But um, how, how do you kind of maintain a character, I guess? How, how do you maintain his voice over two books especially, but, yeah, over this book? You know? I think for me it's about making him change, you know, putting him in a certain situation where he is genuinely challenged. Mm-hmm. I Like, I like Cormac. I, I think he's, mm. he's the kind of guy I'd like to have as my friend, you know, or mm. my brother. He's just someone you could really rely on. But... You know, he's also had life pretty good. You know, he, yeah. he really has. Like, life's been kind to him. He's a good-looking guy. He's physically, you know, capable at sport. He chose a job that really suits him and that he's always done well at. And so even though he's a really decent guy, 
he hasn't really had to face anything truly difficult mm. until now. <laughs> 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 you know, and in, the <laughs> I just think it's interesting when you take someone who is genuinely decent and you put them in a situation that where there is no good choice. Mm. There's nothing that uh, there's no option available to them where they can say, well, I'll do this and that would be fine. Because that's what we all have to live with, you know, mm. a series of bad choices sometimes. And you have to make a compromise and then you go, then you have to live with yourself <laughs> afterwards. And then you have to figure out who you are. Because maybe that's, uh, sorry to be sounding so worthy, but uh, <laughs> it's this thing about getting older. Isn't that what maturity is? Yeah. Like, this is the world we're living in. And I have to live here and I have to make these decisions. So who am I when I make those decisions? Mm. You know, wh- who am I going to be? And and that's what I want for Cormac, for him to have to be jumping through these terrible situations where he makes ethical compromises but he still wants to find a moral touchstone something he can come back to so yeah. he doesn't go too far away and he can live with himself you know so it's just going to get worse for him <laughs> watch out next yeah. <laughs> in the next episode uh, one question I, I like to ask and I can't even remember who I stole this off anymore mm. but um, is there any question you've not been asked in interviews and podcasts that you wish you had oh my god that's, that's one of those questions question. where I just go completely blank and I panic <laughs> <laughs> something to practice Sorry. the next time <laughs> god I don't know I mean I think for me the question books particularly um the ruin and the scholar are really about cormac and peter in a way because people talk about cormac and and emma and Mm. it is very much about their relationship certainly that's evident Mm. but it's really about what i like about it you can say that about your own book without sounding like (laughs) (laughs) you gotta like it otherwise yeah spending all that time with these you you do have to like it don't you (laughs) um i like the Cormac and Peter, because Peter starts off as this super ambitious guy. You know, mm. he just wants to be on top and he wants to get there any way he can. And Cormac arrives at the ruin and he's very much persona non grata. So it's like, well, I, Peter's like, I don't even know if I want to be associated with this guy. And then he kind of thinks, well, I could learn from him. So maybe. And then almost despite himself, the relationship kind of grows and he starts to trust him. And then starts to like him and it's over the course of those books I really like how their relationship changes and of course I've just finished the third book which is very much about Peter so that's really in <laughs> yes, my so mind we don't know enough about but in a way it's it's sort of their relationship that the books are really about in, in a sort of a way Aww. in my mind <laughs> <laughs> and so who you know, are the writers that have influenced you the most? I'm always, I'm always curious about, you know, your, who you've, who you've, re- who would be your greatest inspiration? Oh my god, that's so bad. <laughs> I, I will, I can't give the answer that every, I, you know what? Mm. If I say to you, what is the writer? Who is the writer? <laughs> almost everybody mentions in this question. I bet I know who you're going to say. Oh, actually, I feel like they, they mix it up because uh, yeah. um, Josh said. Um, Vonnegut, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. Did. Which I wasn't expecting because I thought that he was going to go down a crime yeah, path. Yeah. So oh, I think that they're always... And it doesn't, okay, so it's it doesn't mix. necessarily have to be a crime writer because I think everyone is so widely read that mm. it can Yes, everybody reads everything. And often everything. childhood writers as well yeah. kind of affect people. Yeah. Oh, I think it's every book. I, I think mm. the books that I just loved, you know, that made me, that swallowed me up 
and spat me out the other end. <laughs> you know, the books where you read and you're nearly crying at the end because you just don't want them to be over. So when I was a kid, it was all the inner blightens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved on to fantasy because my brothers read fantasy and science fiction. Those are the books that were left around the house mm. that I could pick up. And I kind of leaned towards fantasy. So the David Eddings books, even the Dragonlance books, which I, you know, were really based around like a, a, a role playing game. And someone <laughs> wrote the books afterwards, but I loved them. <laughs> and I cried when the characters died. And then as I got older, it was the crime novels. So or it would be probably Tana French would be right, a huge yeah. influence. Um, Sophie Hanna, um, Jane Harper, whom we all yeah, admire so much. She's just a stunning writer. But as a writer, I think it would have to be Stephen King. Right. Because oh, he's yeah. so I adore him. Yeah. I love his approach. He's just such an he he's an uncompromised storyteller. Yeah. Mm. It's just story for him, first foremost, completely. And I know his books kind of change. Some of them are unbelievable masterpieces and some of them you think he probably knocked it out pretty but, fast. But you <laughs> think for someone that's putting out that much, mm. you know, who's written so much, that's gonna happen. You know, it it's is like inevitably. The, the, someone's bad record and their good record. You know, yeah, you can't you're creating just, all the time. You, yeah, yeah. But I look at at how he's written all of his life and I don't think his passion has ever dimmed. He is no. he comes at his work with the same honesty and just love. You can see it on every yeah. page. Yeah. yeah. So that's the most inspiring I think. And what are you reading or listening to or watching at the moment? Ah, I just finished The Rip, Mark Brandy's The oh, Rip, uh, which I loved. I, I cried at the end of that. Yeah. It's a, it's, <laughs> I teared up a bit. It's really, it is fantastic. It's a very moving book, at, yeah. but, and it's sad, but it's yeah. there are such moments of decency and I know, humanity. I know, I know. He's another one of my favourite writers. Yes, he's, he's <laughs> wonderful. Um, um, the Good Wife, which I'm re-watching oh, at yes. the moment, <laughs> which is brilliant. And I just finished watching Sex Education on Netflix. Did you, have you seen oh, it? I've no. Heard, I've heard no. good things about it. Oh, it's so funny. And Gillian <laughs> Anderson is in it, and she's amazing. So I would uh, recommend that. I should be talking about books rather than... Anyway, sorry, but we have to wrap it up, which is a shame because oh, it's been such a nice time. So thank you. You've been listening to Devlin McTiernan discuss her amazing new book, The Scholar, uh, with me and Deborah Crabtree, who before I called you my protege, I don't know why I said that. I think I packed oh, in you? the middle of the sentence. I am your, pro- <laughs> I am your protege, <laughs> really darling. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the Scholar is available from all the reading stores, apart from Readings Kids, obviously. Um, you can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast on our website website which is readings.com.au where you'll also find news reviews and interviews and information on our current book music and dvd releases you can even sign up to our newsletter the readings monthly thanks to tom for the sound and for our theme music here today thank you tom. thank you so much thank for listening you,